Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Morning, church. How we doing? Whew, kind of a crazy day, isn't it? It's okay to laugh and have fun at church. We can do that. Yeah. Okay, we'll get there. Well, there I am. Like, who is this voice speaking? No, I'm just kidding. Church isn't that big. Um, hey, well, like I said, my name is Sean. I want to congratulate you. Right? We have made it. Summer is over, kind of, although it's going to be like 90-something degrees today. But you made it. You're here. Right? Some of us maybe didn't think we were going to get through the summer, but here we are. That's a really exciting thing. Um, summer is over. Football is here. Right? Some of us, yeah. Those of you guys who hate football or like sports, yay, we know how much you hate sports. We get it. It's okay, right? Um, uh, now, although some of you who are college football fans may feel like you wish this was a practice week anyways, am I right? Yeah. Yep. yep. There's all the South Carolina and Tennessee fans. Um, <clears throat> but I heard a quote this week because you may know college football can be kind of divisive a little bit. Um, you might have heard my mom laugh. We're Ohio State fans. Her brothers are, some of them are Michigan fans, so family reunions are fun. Um, but I, I saw a quote actually on Facebook this week, and this is what it said. It said, rooting for Clemson because they're from South Carolina is like rooting for the devil because he's in the Bible. Doesn't make sense. It's like, man, we're going hard on uh, footballology, I guess we'd call it. I'm not 100% sure. Um, because you can't root for both, right? There was, a, there was an ad a number of years ago, and it showed these two young college students kissing on a couch who were in love, and it said, this is okay, and as it panned away, it was an Ohio State sweatshirt on one and a Michigan sweatshirt on the other, and it said, except for in college football, and I thought, that's exactly right. I would never, ever, well, I would have kissed a girl in a Michigan shirt at that point in time, but I wouldn't now. Um, but with that, I decided to maybe to get us a little alive this morning, right? Get the blood flowing, show us a couple of things that um, don't necessarily go together, like Clemson and Carolina. Can you hit that first one for me? Oil and water, right? Pretty straightforward on that. Nobody's having issues yet. All right, how about the next one? Here we go, a Taco Bell fitness course. <laughs> This is the best definition of um, my exercise, I think, that I've ever seen. And I love it. It says, on, go back to it real quick. Commemorating the Great Flood of 1993, the Taco Bell Foundation. I'm thinking, I don't want to know what that flood was about. Um, there it is. And the next one, uh, an ice dog sandwich. That is a real thing. It is a Oscar Mayer hot dog ice cream sandwich. Yep. Candied hot dog bits, if those weren't gross enough. Some hot dog sweet cream, if that wasn't gross enough. Spicy Dijon gelato, which is also gross. And then the cookie bun to make it, you know, kind of plausible. Um, if you like that, we will pray over you after service. <laughs> and then the next one, marshmallow peeps and a pizza. <laughs> Don't go together. You've done that? Is that what you said? Oh, okay. It's like, wow. 
Um, now this next one, however, there is a difference because some things look like they shouldn't go together but do, and it causes great contention, but the reality is pineapple goes on pizza. It absolutely does. Yes. Pineapple goes on pizza. They might look like they don't go together because they're two totally different things, but when you put them together and experience them together, I've got news for you. The Lord and his angels sing a little bit. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's kind of like billionaires and their wives. Like, they don't really look like they go together, right? Right? Yeah. It's fine. Some of y'all, for the first time you're here, and I was like, I heard about this guy, but never thought I would experience it like this. Yeah. Um, I just thought that'd be really funny. I don't know. Uh, but the reality of these things and why we can have discussion is because it's an issue of perception and presumption, not actual fact. Right? I've met a lot of people who would never try pineapple on pizza, but they hate it. Like, I have a rule in my life. I try everything I don't like once a year, and sometimes I grow in those things. I still hate cucumbers because they're gross. But I started at the ripe old age of 32 enjoying tomatoes, which I kind of feel bad for young Sean because on a, on a cheeseburger, come on, <laughs> right? I have one of those and I go to the Taco Bell course or whatever that was. Um, but the, the problem that we see is perception and presumption. And so our question today as we talk about doubting our doubt this morning is um, I want to talk about two things that seem on the surface to maybe not go together, and that is, that is God and, and science. How can that happen? Now, we've kind of made our, our niche in ministry here at Trailside about things that kind of don't seem like they should go together. Um, for instance... Uh, Monday night, tomorrow night, we're starting our brand new small group. It's kind of a men's focus, but ladies, if you're dying to come, that's fine too. But uh, Leaf and Lager at 13 Stripes. We're going to have an opportunity if you want to smoke a cigar or pipe and have a beer and talk about theology. We're just going to get together and hopefully bring people who are not believers in to hear about theology and to watch Christians sit across from the table and not want to kill each other over stupid things. Um, in addition to that, there's also a women's group that meets here Wednesday night. Um, my mom, who looks so beautiful today, is leading that. that yeah, <laughs> stuff you can only do in a church our size is uh, have your mom stand up and wave. But, uh, <laughs> but that meets in our conference room at 6.30, Mom? Yes. 6.30, and it's a bad girls of the Bible, so if you kind of fancy yourself to be a little rebel, maybe that's good for you as well. Um, but my mom's super cool, and uh, that's a ladies-only study. But things that don't seem like they should go together, we kind of are moving into that niche. And some of those greatly conflicted, debated things in church are, are that, science and God. Like, can, can God and science coexist? Can they work together? Are they in conflict? And one of the things that we like to do at Trailside is to approach some of these honest topics because uh, I, I was, I've been in ministry most of my adult life, and I've seen churches have really good Sunday sermons and services and walk out, and then I've seen people crumble because we just talked about really exciting things all the time and didn't really challenge ourselves. So whew, I ran out of breath there. Um, so what I want to do is I want to challenge you this morning. Uh, this is going to be kind of a different type of, of sermon, but what, what we see in this thought process of God and science together is we see two real views. The, the question of how can a Christian explanation of God coexist with modern science isn't actually the heart of the situation. In fact, it's two camps that are in conflict with each other that carry presumption 
and perception. Treat them as truth, and then we have conflict, right? See, the, the atheist view would say we can explain all of the workings of the entire universe without the need for a creator. Pretty straightforward. And the Christian view would say all things were created by the Father through the Son for his purposes, and that he's sovereign over all things, powerful over all things, and in total control of all things. Those are great views, and they seem to be in conflict, but if we actually walk through them together, we can see that science and God don't actually conflict as much as the world would want us to believe. So I want to read the Christian view, because we are in church, of science and how things came to be. So it's a little long, but if you will stick with me, we're in Genesis 1. And by the way, if you're looking for sermon notes, you got that little thing on your chair. Uh, it's a connection card. If it's your first time with us, we'd love to meet you. Um, we'll be right outside the door there to say hello. We got a little gift for you. Um, but also, we have our app that'll have sermon notes in it as well. You can click there and follow along. This is what Genesis 1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Pretty interesting, that's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit there, but that's another conversation. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening, and there was a morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Sorry about that. And God made the expanse and separated the waters, that they were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. Like, get a little wordy, but that's okay. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielded seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and morning the third day. And God said, let there be light in the expanse of heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Moving into verse 20. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth. So God created the great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. Moving down to verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things. That's the part I wish he didn't do. And beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And then verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Skipping down to verse 30. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has a breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And so the Christian view is 
How can something like that work with science? And as we are walking through this, this series called Doubt Your Doubts, I want to ask the honest question. Because the, the true heart of the question isn't like, how can they exist? The true heart is, uh, if this is all here, then why, why did it happen? Why did the universe ever come into existence? And, and what preceded its birth? How did it have a start? And then the third question that we ask is, does this, any of this actually matter? Now, based on our views and our perceptions and our presumptions, those questions have radically different answers. But it's important that we walk through these things, not at the fear of the other, but understanding how God uses them and created them to coexist. And so as we've done the last few weeks, the assumptions that I want to walk through this morning are this, that we know the universe came from something, that that something created all things, including science, that God does not need us to defend his case, even though 30% of evangelical Christians believe their faith is in direct conflict with science, and that God can defend himself. In fact, it's kind of scary. Evangelical Christians, according to a poll done two years ago, are the least likely to seek scientific thought and truth compared to the rest of the world because of fear. So the question then for us this morning is, why would we even talk about this at church? It's not that. It should be, why aren't we talking more about this? Because it's obviously an issue. And I want to say this again, church. If your faith is scared of something else, then you might need to actually consider what your faith is in. Because God doesn't need you to defend him. Science is not to scare us. But here's what happens. Here's why this matters. Because some of us have been raised in churches and in cultures that would say we need to forsake science for the sake of faith. That we should abandon science for the sake of our religion. Or maybe you're on the other side and you came here because someone invited you and you're like, yeah, they'll, they'll finally shut up if I come, right? Or maybe you met me and I just, I tell everyone I can because I just want people to come here and hang out. Um, but maybe you're a person of science and you've denounced faith completely for the sake of science. Not even giving it an opportunity. Now, see, listen, both of those reasons are very important of why we are doing what we're doing this morning. So why talk about it? Because people are abandoning things they don't need to abandon under false presumptions. And it's hurting them. And it's hurting the church. And so I want to give you three views this morning. And we'll go through quickly because there's a lot. Um, three views of how... This is broken down. The first is this, that view one says Christianity and science are at war with one another. Who's seen the movie God's Not Dead? Anybody out there? Yeah. What about God's Not Dead 2? What about 3 through 11? I don't know if that's real or not. Yeah. I'm like, guys, we've already made the point. I get it. He's not dead. Um, yeah. Here, here's, I'm, I'm just going to, well, if you came here hoping to be coddled, it's not going to happen anyways. Um, we have got to stop making movies and presenting ideas that we're going to go to college and go hang out with people who aren't Christians and they're going to wreck our faith and that we need to be the hero of the faith and say, here we are. I will make God good. And you will say, gosh, what a smart Christian you are. 
I was wrong, and now I give my life to Jesus. Like, come on. The Lion of Judah is a lion. He doesn't need you to defend him. Can, can we just get back? Have you guys ever seen a lion? I saw a video, I'm really not making myself out well this week, but I saw a video this week of a guy on a motorcycle who was riding somewhere where lions are, and you can hear this like, whoopah, 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 over the motorcycle, and he looks over it, and all of a sudden there's this ginormous lion running down almost next to him, coming after him, and swipes at him. And he drops the gear, boom, when he goes. And I'm like, that is the scariest thing. I, I almost, well, no, I'm not gonna say that. Um, I just did though, didn't I? Um, yeah. Like the lion of Judah does not need you to protect him. If, I, if a lion walks in here, I love y'all, but my wife and my son are in there. Mom, you're, you're close, but I'm out. I'm that way. <laughs> right? Love y'all. The lion of Judah doesn't need us to defend him. He just asks for our obedience and trust. And we've presented this view that Christianity and science are consistently at war with each other. And, and it's kind of because we've done a bad job of thought processes and considering that maybe science isn't evil. In fact, a famous philosopher, mathematician, Galileo, who was a Christian, okay, let's get that in, a, a solid believer, wrote great pieces of theology, was labeled a heretic by the church in 1633 because he had the audacity to say that the sun revolved around the earth. Or that the earth revolved around the sun, sorry. I said that backwards. I said it backwards. So I have notes. That the, that the earth revolved around the sun and the sun didn't revolve around the earth. And you know what that told religious people? That they weren't in the center of everything. And so they labeled him a heretic and kicked him out of the church. And then they proved that it was right. And they were like, hey, Galileo, our bad. Sorry about that. Whoops. Sorry we tried to kill you. It's cool now. We didn't mean anything by it. But, but this is what happens. And this is why we have such modern day issues in saying, Christianity is at conflict with science because we've, we've allowed, um, gosh, I need to say this well. We've allowed people to make scientific claims who are Christians who dismiss science and walked in that as fact. For instance, there was a, a, one guy who said, I can tell you exactly how old the earth is. And he added up the genealogies and said, 6,022 years old. And people who are scientists, who are thinking it's in conflict, are looking at things and going, hey, like this didn't just happen by the genealogies of Adam until today. It's, it's not a scientific claim. You can't make that claim and expect people to take it seriously. But the same thing happens. Let me shift the perspective on the other side. We've allowed people who are not believers, who don't follow Jesus, to make audacious claims about who God is and allow that to be truth. And it's just as ridiculous. It's just as crazy. In fact, one of those men is Richard Dawkins, who some of you guys may have heard of. He's a, a well-known atheist, philosopher, scientist. Um, and I, I try to read stuff like that, like Dawkins things, so that I don't sound like an idiot when I talk about things like this. And um, so when people ask me questions, I can at least say, yeah, I'm familiar with that, you know. Uh, this is what Dawkins said. 
He said, religion is no longer a serious candidate in the field of explanation. It is completely superseded by science. Also, Richard Dawkins, uh, science often makes progress by correcting some mistakes. Also, also, Richard Dawkins, ultimately, the history of science is a history of best guesses. And yet, this is a man who wrote a book called The God Delusion and multiple others making theological claims about how science proves that God cannot be real and that it cannot coexist. And people read that book and they take it as truth. And guys, the reality is the only truth that man said is that there's nothing that we really know for sure about it. Like, we can tell you why things are the way they are, but I can't tell you why they are where they came from. And here's the second view, is that Christianity and science are completely separate. So maybe we say, okay, they're not in conflict, then we'll just separate them. Right? How many of you guys have seen your siblings or maybe your kids get in a fight, and you go to separate them, and it works really well? They just stop talking to each other. They walk across the room. They think about what they've done. They repent and shake hands and hug. Right? Just me and my brother. Right? My mom's laughing. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Typically, when you have two people in conflict and you separate them, you need to not stand in the way because you will become cannon fodder as one finds something to throw at the other across the room, right? Anybody been there before? Yep. Yep. One of my most favorite moments of life, my brother and I got into a little tiff. We were, I think I was 19, he was 17, and I threw a, it was over church softball, because that happens. I, I threw the lineup book at him, and I started walking away, and he got so mad, he charged at me. And I turned around to catch him, and he put my butt through a wall. Yeah. So I played the victim hard. Yeah. So he had to pay for the wall to get done, and he had to watch it get done. And I sat in the room and played video games while I laughed hysterically at him. And I was like, ha, ha, sucks to be you, buddy. How's that 80 bucks going? So we can't actually separate them. Science is about how the world works, and religion is about morality and God and the afterlife. Therefore, they can't conflict because they address different questions. No. It, it simply can't work. If you take science out of God, he's no longer the creator. He's just an omnipotent maybe being who kind of makes things happen maybe. To separate them is to limit the knowledge of everything that we know. Because science speaks to God, and God speaks to science because he created it. And if, if that's a troublesome moment for you, if you're watching this or you're sitting here wondering how that can be, I want to ask you a question. I didn't come up with this, somebody much smarter than I did, so much so I couldn't say his name. So kind of like reading the Old Testament. You're like, that guy, you got that guy, you got that guy, I don't know. The question is this, why is water boiling on the stove? Now, if we're to separate them, right, and we'll say, well, the scientific answer is that water has a boiling point, and that when the heat reaches that boiling point, the water bubbles and heats up because vapor, or water is turning into vapor, liquid's turning into vapor, and it's escaping, and it turns into a gas. That's great, but here's why you can't just separate the two, because that's not the full story. Here's a non-scientific answer. And it's just as important. The water is boiling because I put water in a pot, place it on the stove, and turn the heat on. See, the, there's action in that. Or e even a third answer. The water is boiling because my throat hurts because we just had our fake fall happen this month. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about in South Carolina? 
it's beautiful, the weather's changing, and then the Lord just goes, heat, humidity. Yeah, the water's boiling because my throat hurts and I wanted some relief. Listen, those are all answers to the question of why the, water is, why the water is boiling, but if that's the fullness and we just take one of those and not all three, it doesn't tell the whole story. And that is exactly how science and God coexist because they're not in conflict with each other, but they speak to the same story. The issue is where that began from, and only one of those things has an answer. See, no answer is wrong. It just gives a different perspective. My, my friend, one of my pastor friends, Jamie, um, he's at Abundant Life down the road, just got back from a trip to India, speaking of heat. Um, and they would go around to remote villages, and they would show the Jesus movie, which if you've seen that, we probably should make a new one. Um, <laughs> that's who's seen it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. So they're going to these villages who have never seen a movie. They've never seen a projector screen. They don't understand. And they literally are meeting Jesus by the village, the whole village. 100 people, boom, all of them meet Jesus. And when they go and they disciple these guys and walk with them, they talk with them, it's interesting their perspective is they want to be saved because they want to follow not Jesus or their perception of Jesus, but the person they saw on the screen. And so one of, Jamie told me one of the biggest surprises is he spent tons of time in these villages in India explaining that the actor on the screen was not actually Jesus. Like, no, 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 that's, that's not him, that's a portrayal. And then people are like, what is an actor? What is a movie? Like, okay, here we go. We got a lot of foundational stuff to build here. Because they didn't get it. In fact, they said there was one village where people began to throw rocks at the screen trying to kill the soldiers who were going to crucify Jesus. Can you imagine that? But that's, that's why perception is so important and presumption is so important. They just thought, I have to stop this from happening. It's kind of cool that people who are meeting Jesus do the same thing Peter does when he says, Lord, may it never be. That's another conversation. Or the correct view I would offer you this morning, view three, that science and Christianity interact with each other by enhancing each other. This is the correct view. This is where we want to begin our build is, is that they interact because they work together. They're cohesive. Pope John Paul has this incredible statement. Um, I was raised Catholic, so whatever. I can say it, I guess. Um, no, okay. This is what he said. Pope John Paul II said, Science can purify religion from error and superstition, and religion can purify science from idolatry and false absolutes. Each can draw the other into a wider world, a world where both can flourish. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Like, an understanding of what science is and how God created the world order and put it together can allow us to not be weird, superstitious people who think that the sun revolves around the earth. And faith and understanding of who God is can answer questions when false idols and false absolutes inhabit the minds of people. And they can both flourish. Galileo said, the, the glory and greatness of Almighty God are marvelously discerned in all of his works and divinely read in his open book of heaven. I'm going to start calling my Bible that. Y'all hear that? I just want to sound really holy. Like, oh, it's the open book of heaven. I'm reading from that today. Open your open book of heavens to James 3. That's what I'm going to start doing. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. just want to see if y'all are still awake. But here's what we know. Here's what this view says, that God reveals himself in two ways, by general and specific revelation. 
that, that he says, this is how God says who he is, and the heavens and the earth and the valleys cry out to him. Much in the way a, a painting cries to a painter or a watch to a watchmaker. And here are the, the three questions as we move into closing. Three points I want to I make in this. Three ways that science falls short. The first is this, that science alone cannot explain why we are here. Great quote by, it might have been Dawkins actually. <clears throat> I forgot to put it down. Science cannot answer the questions that philosophers, and I love this, or children ask. Why we are here, what is the point of being alive, and why should we behave as we should? The questions may be interesting, but scientists are no more qualified to comment on them than anyone else, including the children. So we um, had a pretty rough moment this past Monday. Our, our dog was, was killed by a car, and um, as I was breaking the news to my children who've never experienced loss, really, my daughter, who's four, looked at me and she said, Daddy, why do I feel so sad? And yeah, yeah, I know, right? And then she said, well, what's going to happen to me when I die too? And I said, well, you're not going to get hit by a car, hopefully. Uncle Tim already tried that. He wasn't successful, my brother. He's still here. It's okay. Um, I shouldn't joke about that. <laughs> Whatever. Um, but I was like, you know what? The, the, a four-and-a-half-year-old asking these questions of deep theology and hope, a, a purpose, a, a, a four-and-a-half-year-old who is meeting grief in a way she's never experienced before and knows that it yearns for something greater. And I want to tell you, our children's ministry is awesome, but she's not a theologian yet. We pray every night. Because it's innate in her. It's, it's created in her. See, science can answer the life of how we live and how we die, but it can't answer why we're here and where we go. But God clearly explains why we're here. In Colossians 1.16, he says it's to bring him glory and us purpose. And God clearly gives you purpose. In fact, in Exodus 9, he's speaking through the prophet Moses to Pharaoh and explaining why Egypt is going through all these horrible plagues. And this is what Moses says to Pharaoh. But I've raised you up on purpose that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Because that's what God does. He gives us purpose. And it's not so you can be famous. It's not so you can have a lot of stuff and go on a trips. It's for his glory. But here's the key. His glory is good for you. See, we have this messed up mentality that someone else's glory means we're not getting any. But for the believer and someone who knows Jesus and follows Jesus, God absolutely using his glory and putting you in the center of the story is all the fulfillment that you need. See, God tells the Pharaoh through Moses, I could have ended this and done whatever I want. I could knock all of Egypt out. But in order to show my power through you, I'm going to do it this way. See, God clearly shows us these things. In fact, Scripture says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. 
And what is your purpose? What does the Lord require of you? This is it. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. There's purpose. The second thing that science alone cannot explain, it cannot explain the origin of life. Richard Dawkins, again, I'm going to just hate on him a little bit. He's got a lot of quotes, wrote a lot of books. He's, he's okay. He says this, we are all descended from what might have been something like bacteria. Isn't that what you want to hear? Right? Like, you know, like go to our mom, but, hey, mom, where do babies come from? Well, you may be this thing that happened with bacteria. I don't want that to be my purpose. He says, it's absolutely safe to say that if you meet somebody who claims not to believe in evolution, meaning from bacteria to us, that that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane. So here's what I want you to do. Switch some words around, put that on your Facebook profile, see what happens. If you believe in this, you are probably stupid, insane, or what is it? Ignorant. It's not going to go well for you. (laughs) But still... That statement fails to explain why we are here and how it all started. And that's why science works with God and with Scripture and with theology to paint the story for you that you have purpose and that it's beyond whatever you're experiencing right now. That's why it's important. That's why we can't push away from things like science because they scare us. Because here's the deal. God is not in heaven hoping that humans don't find out something. Right? Did you all hear that? God is not upset and holding everything back and hoping that you won't figure out the one thing that will connect monkeys to humans, and he's going to go, oh, dang it. Forgot to close that door. Because he doesn't need us to defend him. He is the Lion of Judah. He created the very thing people are attempting to learn about to use against him. And it's not going to work. But... The statement of Dawkins fails to explain how life began. My son's a big Pokemon fan. I'm not. But his birthday was Friday. He got a lot of Pokemon stuff. He's got a party this afternoon. He'll probably get more Pokemon stuff. And I recently had a friend who was like, aren't you a little worried about him playing with Pokemon? It's like, no. I'm more worried about him like tumbling down the stairs in the middle of the night. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but, you know, it's about evolution. You know, like they start one thing and then they evolve to other things. And, you know, doesn't that worry you as a pastor? And I kind of was about to laugh. (laughs) It's like, no, (laughs) not at all. Because here's what it teaches. Not evolution is bad. It teaches that something had to start somewhere to become what it was. Uh, So I'm not scared of it. No. It's, It's teaching my son that something is created and it can become greater just as he is, when it's given purpose, when it's given energy and focus. So no, it doesn't teach evolution. It teaches that creation brings life. And here's even what Dawkins again would claim. He says, natural selection would probably need some kind of great luck to get started. Any followers of Jesus out there think they might have the answer for that? Anybody? I'm like, he must have been in his room writing that book to where no other believer could be like, yo, Richard, I got something for you. We read it this morning. That's why I read that huge piece of scripture. 
crazy. And then he says this, the emergence, in fact, of self-replicating life forming from nothing is exceedingly improbable. I'm like, yeah, we know. But see, we're making these claims about who God is or isn't, what creation is or isn't, and then we're allowing people to say, "Eh, it's pretty much impossible, actually. Because it will always fail to explain the goodness of God and his created order. In fact, God's claims about creation, in one of the most famous verses, one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm 139, In verse 13, this is what God says. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. That's what God says about creation. My wife is five months pregnant, four, 20, month, 20 weeks, whatever, today. Um, and we recently found out this past Wednesday that we're having a little boy. This is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, much to the dismay of many wonderful people in this church who have little girls and said, I have all this stuff to give you. And I'm like, well, now my son has options. Um, <laughs> Kind of, right? We, the Chadwells and us made an agreement. But, um, but, but here's the reality of that, that God weaves us together and puts purpose in us. And science alone cannot explain that. But the science and biology and understanding we have of what God does when he forms a child in the womb speaks to the creation and the purpose that God puts in it as it's been created. In fact, I, I know we're right along. I'm sorry, I just got really excited, but... In fact, I want to share this with you because I hope it blows your mind. The design of a human DNA cell. There's more information found in each of the trillions of cells, in each of the trillions of cells in a human than an entire Encyclopedia Britannica set. Now, if you guys are under the age of 30, you don't know what that is, but it's a lot of books, (laughs) okay? A library of everything about everything. And, and to say that it's a cosmetological, uh, you know, whatever. Um, to, to say that it's, a, it's a, a random occurrence, this is what would have to happen. It's like cutting out every individual letter of the entire encyclopedia, dropping it from the sky, and it landing in a place that formed itself to complete the entire encyclopedia. One cell. Trillions of times over and over again. I read an article this week that said, based on statistics, that if you slammed your hand on a table enough, that there is a one in whatever chance that your molecules could fall correctly in your hand, your hand could go through the table without breaking it, just straight through. 
You read that and you're like, okay. <laughs> Great. So I, I've got to go to the doctor. I broke my wrist, but we're fine. Um, but no, guys, the, the one in blah, 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 blah chance is not what we build our faith on. We build our faith on the fact that God said exactly what happened and then loves us enough to share that and show it to us and puts purpose in us. See, God's claims for creation are in Genesis 1, as we read, that he established it and sees it was good. The last question is this, that science cannot explain where the world has come from. Sir Roger Primrose, who I know many of you read his readings, you can tell who's been here before and who like, like, <laughs> anyways. Um, he says, he's a British mathema mathematical physicist who actually won the Nobel Peace Prize in 19, I think, 82. He says that the odds of a random explosion producing the scientific laws and absolutes of nature, which would govern our world, is 1 in 10 to the 10th power to the 123rd power. To give you an understanding, it's a number so vast that it's said to have more zeros than the total number of particles in the entire universe. So this is a non-believing physicist who says the chances of this happening, there's more zeros than there are particles in the universe. Guys, at some point, we have to stop putting our faith in things that are not faithful to us. And even for that to happen, where does the energy and the matter come from? Where does the, the entropy, the, the fourth focus of power, where does all of that come together to cause that? Stephen Hawking says this, science simply cannot answer the question, why does the universe bother to exist? And I don't know the answer. Not one of his more quoted quotes. But see, God's claim for creation is clearly stated in Genesis 1 that he spoke it into existence. Tim Keller says, he's a famous pastor in New York, he says, the theory that there is a God who made the world accounts for Evidence we see better than the theory that there is no God at all. See, I'm not a super faithful dude. I'm just playing the odds. Just kidding. But if you play odds, I'd like you to consider what team you're playing. And the last is this, that science cannot explain what life is all about. It's this problem of consciousness. No theoretical physics, no scientific study has ever given an answer for why we are conscious and not just zombies walking around the earth. Dawkins again says that there's no purpose for life. And to ask what it is is a silly question. It has the same status as what is the color of jealousy. Hey, Dawkins, it's not a silly question. It's the most important question anyone can ask. It's the humdinger of questions. I said that for you Southern people. To understand what life is all about and why we are conscious is to understand that you were created with a purpose. That there is a God who made all things and, and created all things and that you're part of that and he wove you together inside your mother's womb that he knew your days before you were even thought of. 
that he has put purpose and hope and reason inside of you to exist and that that hope will be established in walking humbly with God, loving mercy and showing justice. See, it's not a silly question. It's the most important one. The the understanding of the moral code itself makes a statement for us that, that we are not machines. If we just had no purpose, we would act just as robots would or the animal kingdom. We would be the lions running down trying to knock humans off their motorcycles and rip them shred from shred. There would be no moral code at ever, but because God has created us and given us purpose and breathed life into us, we love We walk humbly, and we seek justice when those laws are broken. Ecclesiastes 12 says, At the end of all the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And so, church, my conclusions for us this morning are this. As Dawkins says, science has no way to disprove the existence of a supreme being. I would offer more so that when... Theology meets science that we see Psalm 19 that says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That the stars in the sky, that the valleys that you see, that the trees outside, that everything that moves, that the the breath of wind that enters your lungs speaks to the glory of God. See, science in no way disproves God at all. It hearkens his creative power. So our conclusions this morning are this. Number one, not only can science and Christianity coexist, but they're necessary to enhance our understanding of each other. Church, don't be scared of a science book. That's silliness. Use it to embrace exactly who God is as a loving creator. Conclusion two is that science is given by God to us in order that we may gain a greater understanding of him and his creation. Third, Christianity, scripture, and theology provide a framework for how and why we do science. It answers the question that seems unanswerable. And that fourth, Christians do not need to set aside faith in order to understand science. So church, my conclusion and my request of you is not to doubt or to fear your doubt, excuse me, to doubt your fear and let the lion of Judah defend himself. Let's pray. Father, you're good. We love you. We thank you. God, I just, I ask this morning that we wouldn't be scared. That as we sing songs and read psalms that talk about your goodness, your grace, your love, that you created us with purpose, that it would Bring us to a point of humility and great hope. And Jesus, that in all things we would trust you as a lion of Judah who does not need a cage, who does not need defense, but instead declares its grace, mercy, and hope to all people. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person or 
help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.